his funeral. It's not going to be your typical funeral. We're going to just play all of his clips from the West show at New Life Community Church, and it will be a lot of fun. I didn't ask your permission to do that there, Wes, by the way. Uh, we're just going to do it. Over the next four weeks, we, we've started this series called The Table, and uh, we're going to be following Wes as he tries to discover uh, the ultimate table. And uh, so it should be... <laughs> Interesting, if nothing else, it should be interesting following Wes along this journey of finding a table. Now, how many of you have been to Canton? Let me see your hand. Been to Canton. Canton is like the ultimate flea market. It's a flea market on steroids, right? Um, I've got a good friend who started a church up there called uh, the, the Driven Life Church. And, and we were in a, a coaching network together, and, and we were talking about Canton. And Canton is like 3,000 people population on, on a regular weekend. But first Monday, it can swell to over 100,000 people in this little place. And it's just like the ultimate deal. Well, if, if you've noticed lately, I remember going 30 years ago when I, was, when I was Caleb's age. I remember going to Canton wasn't nearly as big as it is now. And you know, as it grows, then people are going to try to figure out any way they can to make money. Well, one of the best ways to make money is if you've got 100,000 people coming into your town, feed them. You know, they're hungry, they're thirsty. So they've, they've got this little food court thing going on. Don't know if you've seen it. But basically, the food court is, is a few picnic tables under some shade with the little food vendors around the side. Now, I heard about this. I didn't see this. I heard about this, and, and I thought this was kind of interesting. They now have started giving out samples of food. You go to Sam's, you get samples of food. You go to Walmart, you get samples of food. They're trying to entice you to buy their food. But at Canton, the problem is that the girl with the, the, the uh, samples, what she's doing is she's walking around to everybody sitting in the shade, the people that have already purchased food, and trying to give them samples of what they're already eating. And, and so this one guy, he was saying, you know, people are looking at her like, uh, no, thank you, ma'am. I'm eating what you got right there. I'm full. I don't need it. And then they said, you look out like 15 to 20 feet out from underneath the shade. Thousands and thousands of people are walking by and they're going, uh, duh. It seems like you would walk out there, but it's hot out there. You'd walk out there and you give uh, samples of the bread, the chicken to people that are walking by. And then maybe those people could come in and buy stuff. And then, you know, they could be fed and they could partake of what you've got to offer. But they said, when you'd say no thanks, the girl would just walk to the next table where people were eating. You want some samples? And they're like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Alex was telling me they do the same thing at, uh, at the mall in Tyler. Chick-fil-A guy or Chick-fil-A girl, they're standing right out beside Chick-fil-A. They don't go in the rest of the, wall, uh, the mall. You know, they're giving samples to people standing in line. It makes no sense. And you think about it, that's what's happening in churches today. Churches uh, in our culture, all we have to do is walk 15 to 20 feet outside the walls of this church, out into the heat, out from under the shade, and we have thousands and thousands of people walking by. People are hungry, and they need what we have to offer, but we're sharing samples with the people that are already fed. We're, we're talking to people that are already full, and we're giving them the samples of the bread. Now, it might sound a little bit far-fetched, but I want to show you something. The church is the place, the table, where people go to get fed. And here's what Jesus said. You have this on your listening guide. John 6:35. I am the bread of life. Now, the rage these days is to talk about protein. But in God's economy, complex carbohydrates are king. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. The ultimate bread, the ultimate food that meets your soul level need, your soul hunger. And that ultimate bread 
that ultimate food deserves the ultimate presentation. And the challenge we have as local churches in, in this culture, really all over the world, is to feed people. Now, here's what we're trying to do. This is on your listening guide as well. Our job as a church is to build believers and to serve seekers. Build believers and serve seekers. I want you to say that with me. Our, our job is to build believers and serve seekers. Now, that's actually not a bad first try, but I want you to do it again. I want you to say it with some conviction. Our job is to build believers and serve seekers. Thank you, Wes. I heard you get involved there. I appreciate that, big guy. Now, we have a group of people right here listening to my voice, and you are Christ followers. That means you are in the family of God. You've stepped across that line of faith, and you are in the family of God. And our job is to feed you. My job is to feed you the bread of life, which is the Word of God, which is the Bible. That's my job every week is to build believers by feeding you the Word of God. But there's another group of people that are here, and you're seekers. Seekers are people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. You may have been in church all your life, but you've never established a connection with God through Jesus Christ. You, you may not have any biblical pre-knowledge. You may not know anything about what, what is going on in the kingdom of God. That is a seeker. And at New Life, we're set up to reach both. We are, we are set up to reach and build believers, but also to serve seekers. And to do that, we have the opportunity week in and week out to serve the ultimate food, which is the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. And I'm not talking about paper napkins. You know, I'm not talking about what we did at the lake last week. By the way, that was a blast at the, at the lake last week. I'm not talking about picnic type food. Look at this table here. This is a sweet table. And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to present the ultimate food in the ultimate way. So that, um, so that God gets the glory. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about three things today, basically. The first thing I want to talk about is when you are preparing a table, you have an invitation. The first thing I want to talk about is the invitation. Now, when we invite people over to our home, and you probably do the same thing, um, would you all turn these lights up just a little bit? I think everybody's struggling to see. There we go. Hey, hi. Um, when you invite somebody over your house, what do you do? You call up and you say, hey, would you like to come over? If they say yes, then you say, what kind of food do you like and what kind of food do you not like? And then you work out all the details and say, okay, we're going to have this date and this night. We're going to get together and we're going to have food. Now, what do you do after you invite somebody over? At my house, then we do the work. The guests don't do the work. We do the work. First thing we do is we clean the house. Not that the house is not clean, mind you. We clean it more. I read that a long time ago, there's this lady called the Fly Lady, and she, she has a ministry to moms. And she says, have you ever had chaos, which stands for can't have anyone over syndrome? You know, because the house is all messed up, can't have anyone over. And what we do is when we plan ahead, we get rid of the chaos. We clean and we plan and we think about the ambiance. We, when they're coming over, we turn on some light music, you know, soft music. We light some candles. Janie lights candles all over the place. She's a candle woman. That's what we, she gets every time there's anything that she gets presents for, she's going to get at least one candle. And if it's the kids' way, she's getting 15 candles. And, and then we present the food in a creative and in, a, in an imaginative and a compelling way. Janie's great at that. She always finds little dishes that she wants to serve things in. Oh, that's so cute. And I'm like, dude, it's food. You know, it's, it's not going to stay there very long. But my wife does it in a creative and compelling way because it's all about the guests. Now, when guests come over, um, you know, when, when we eat just normally with no guests, we don't always do this. We don't always set the table and, and have, you know, there's three, three plates there. Y'all ever been to a restaurant where you didn't know which utensil to use? Man, I'm clueless about that stuff. 
Whichever one's closest. That's the one I use. We don't always do this. Sometimes when it's just us, we use paper plates. We use the napkins, you know, that, that you'd use out at a picnic. And sometimes the kids burp. And sometimes they'll throw food, you know. But not when we have guests. When we have guests, we're like, uh-uh-uh. You be on your best behavior. No throwing food. You know, no burping. Caleb, close the door when you go to the bathroom. Because, dude, you sound like a racehorse. And it's embarrassing when there's other people. Or I'm serious. Homer does not close the door. And I'm just like, ah, when people come over, close the door. Oh, yes, sir. You know, that type of thing. Because it's all about the guests. Now, let me ask you a question. When we do that, whenever we talk to our kids and when we have somebody over, are we compromising the food? Are we watering down the food? Are we being fake? No, what we're doing is we're being strategic. We're trying to be good hosts and hostesses so that we reach out to somebody and we have a good time. We're not being fake at all. Well, we, the church, have an opportunity to entertain guests every weekend here at New Life Community Church. And hopefully we're going to be good hosts here. And there are thousands and thousands of people walking by outside the walls of this church who are hungry. And we have the opportunity to feed them the bread of life. And, and what is the church to do? Are we going to stay inside the shade and feed the already fed? Or are we going to push away from the table and we're going to reach out to people who are dying for the bread of life? All those people filing by in your life and in my life. Now, when, when you entertain people, do you think about the guests? Sure you do. When we entertain people here at New Life Community Church, we think about the guests as well. We think about the people that are in the family. Those are believers. And we have some incredible people who serve here every week. There are people that go weeks without coming up here into the worship service because they're downstairs with the children, either in the nursery or in the children's area. The band practices a couple of hours every week. They get here early on Sunday mornings. There were folks early here this morning to set this up. We took down the set from our, from our last series. We were working on Fridays and Saturdays. There are hours and hours of things that are going on behind the scenes so that we can present the bread of life in the ultimate way. We have some incredible people here at New Life that do that. But, but we also think about the guests. Um, we think about people whose lives are falling apart. We think about the couple whose marriage is on the rocks and they're about to, to, to get a divorce. We think about the single people that, that are struggling and really think that maybe there's no direction in life. And they're, they're struggling with bouts of loneliness. We think about the student that may be contemplating ending it all. We think about the guests. And we also think about the chairs. We think about the table. And, and really, if you look at the Bible, you know what the pastor's job is? The pastor is supposed to be the chef. I'm the dude with the food. And so I'm supposed to bring you a compelling meal week in, week out. That takes work. It takes effort. And we have to think about this stuff. But think about these chairs. Now, I want you to, to look at John 4:34. Jesus said this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of Him. Who's the Him in that, in that verse? God. God sent Him and He said, My food, the way I get spiritually fed is I obey what my Father has told me to do and I get spiritually fed. And, you know, when you think about that, He said, My food is to do the work. Entertaining takes work, doesn't it? And that's why a lot of people don't do it. It's too much work and they're like, Dude, let's go out to eat. <laughs> and that's cool. That's, that's great. But if you're going to have people over to your house, it's going to take some work. You're going to have to defer to them. You're going to have to serve food in a way that, that pleases them. Because it's not about you when guests come to your house. It's about the guests. Well, guess what? When, it, when guests come here, it's not about us. It's about the guests. And we want to do everything we can to reach out to the guests. Because the church is the place where hungry people go to get fed. And we think about the chairs. Basically, there's three chairs. This chair over here. Now, this one will say represents me. 
I'm just going to pull it back for now. This chair is a group that's called mature believers. Mature believers, and these are folks that are fully devoted followers of Christ. Our, our mission statement as a church is we say we exist to reach people who are far from God, help them connect with God and with other people. The person sitting in this chair represents mature believers. The people sitting in this chair right here represent baby Christians, brand new spanking Christians. Brand spanking new Christians. Something like that. However you want to say it. These are brand new Christians just come across the line of faith and they, ha- they do not have a whole lot of knowledge yet, don't know how to, to necessarily grow spiritually. What we're going to do is focus on them, help them to grow so that they move into this chair. This chair should represent hell-bound people. We're talking skirt-chasing, cocaine-snorting, hell-bound people. The church should be made up of thirds because that's what we're trying to do. And, and let, me, let me explain this just just a little bit. Um, if people tell you that, uh, that the church is made up only of mature believers, they don't have a clue about what the Bible says. If, the, if the people tell you that the church is made up only of baby Christian, brand new Christians, they don't have a clue what the church is about. Because here's the deal. If mature believers are doing what they should be doing, they're inviting hell-bound people to New Life Community Church. And as they taste the bread of life, They're realizing that there is something that fills their soul that is greater than anything they've imagined before. They walk across the line of faith. They become baby believers, brand new Christians. As they continue to eat the bread of life, they come over here, they become mature Christians. And mature Christians, they come and they get fed. You know what mature Christians do? They push themselves away from the table. They get off their rear and they serve seekers. You have this beautiful ecosystem going on. It's this symmetry. That's a healthy church. But unfortunately, not a whole lot of churches look like that. So, what we do is we give out samples of the bread of life every day by our actions, by our attitudes, by the places we go, by our business practices. And I want to ask you Christians, are you forfeiting the chance to tell someone about Christ by the way you're living? Or are you actually out there involved in people's lives and are you inviting them to the table where the hungry can get fed? Where they can get the ultimate bread, which is Jesus Christ Himself. Now, we, also, we have an invitation that we're supposed to give. But there's a second thing that we have to think about, and that's the preparation. You remember when Bill Clinton was running for president the first time? He had a slogan. It was on his desk, and, and you know they had it all over the place. And it was a slogan that helped them focus on what they needed to do. There were lots of big issues, but there was one issue in their mind. It actually helped them win the White House, among several other factors. But do you remember what the, the slogan was? They said, it's the economy, stupid. Every time they came in, they kept saying, the economy's bad. We're going to hammer that. We're going to hammer Bush on the economy. We're going to hammer that over and over. All these other things we'll talk about, we're going to hammer. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. Well, here at New Life Community Church, we also have a slogan. You may have heard Wes say it. After we went to a conference back in, in February, he came back and he was. I heard him tell the band a number of times, it's the weekend, stupid. Everything we do should focus on the weekend because this is the time when people come together and we present the ultimate bread of life in an ultimate way. Now, children's ministry is important. Children's activities, youth activities, small groups, all of that is important. But when we come together as a church is the weekend. And we're going to do everything we can to present the bread of life in a compelling way because we believe that's the only way that you make any progress, that you get healing from from things in your past, 
that you're able to overcome habits and hurts and hang-ups. We believe the bread of life is the only way to do that. So we're going to present the bread of life every way, the, the best way we can every weekend. Now, Jesus told Simon Peter this. He said, John 21, 18, feed my sheep. All right. So as, as the pastor of the church, this is my, my job. I'm supposed to be the dude with the food, and so I'm supposed to do everything I can to prepare like crazy. To, uh, to be creative like crazy. We have a Sunday team that meets twice a month and we just talk about what can we do. And we change things up all of the time because we want people to come in here and never get into a rut. I remember one time I did, I was teaching ninth and 10th grade Sunday school um, boys and I said, just for kicks, tell me what's going to happen in the service today. This was several years ago. And they basically, without knowing the names of songs or whatever, they went through the order of service and nailed it. You want to know why? Because it had been the same for about 25 years. I may be exaggerating, but you understand what I'm talking about. One of the things that we're going to try to do is we're going to try to be consistently inconsistent. You know, some of you got used to, you like the, the, the center aisle with the, the red carpet and the lights, and, and you like the movie thing. Well, the movie thing's not here anymore, so get over it. We got the table for four weeks. Um, then we're going to go into a tough question series. And, and this, the worship center is going to be totally different in the, in the tough question series. Don't get used to anything because we're going to be consistently inconsistent. Because we discovered that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ pulled a child up on his lap when that was appropriate. He talked about a farmer in a field when he was talking to farmers. He got on the bow of a boat and he taught a whole bunch of people at, at, at different times. He used humor. He used word pictures. He used direct confrontation. Depending on the situation, Jesus was uh, consistently inconsistent. And that's what we're going to try to do is pattern this church after that. Because we want people to come and and not know what's going to happen next. None of you expected Wes to do the Six Flags dance today. I mean, we want people to realize that church is fun, but that it's also serious and you can get something out of it. So we, we work hard thinking about the table and thinking about the chairs. Um, now, here's what, here's the third thing. We talk about the invitation. We talk about preparation. Here's the third thing. The presentation. Now, here's what blows me away about East Texas. It's not just East Texas, but we're in East Texas, so I'm going to talk about that. Here's what blows me away. There are Bible studies and churches on every corner in East Texas. We're in the, we're, you know, the, the belt, the buckle of the Bible belt. That's where we are. Churches all over the place. Now, I hadn't counted recently. When we started this church, there were 120 churches within the city limits of Palestine. That's not counting outside the city limits. That's just inside the city limits. And I know at least three more that have started since we did. So there's 120 churches. There are churches everywhere that you can go to. And a lot of churches and a lot of Bible studies are diet-driven. Diet, diet, diet. Feed on the Word of God. Feed on the Word of God. Now, now understand, we have to do that. The Bible says in, in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? Then he answers it. David answers it and he says, By keeping it according to your word, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And then 119.11, you know, Your word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. You cannot hide God's word in your heart if you don't know God's word. So we have to study. But, but hang on to that. These, these churches, they diet, diet, diet. And the medical community says, not only do you have to diet, if you want to be healthy, you've got to watch what you eat. You diet and what? I can't hear you. Diet and what? Exercise. So it's more than just diet. We've got to diet and we've got to exercise. Yet for so many of these churches all over the country, Bible studies, churches around here, it's all about the diet. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Do all of these things. Get in the Word of God. And we've got to get in the Word of God. But understand me. 
We've got to do more than just know God's word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So we've got to do the Nike slogan. What's the Nike slogan? Slogan. Slogan. Just do it. Thank you. You talk better than I do. Maybe you should be up here. Um, we've got to do it. Look at James 2.26. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works and you get the same thing. A corpse. You've heard it probably in a different way. Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said when he wrote this book in the New Testament. You want to know why some churches are dying? Because they've forgotten how to exercise. They're spending all of their time dieting, eating. They've become fat Christians who don't know what to do, can't see their feet anymore. And they've forgotten how to exercise. God forbid that this church should die because we quit exercising. That is not going to happen. Every church, every Bible study should be a diet and exercise entity. Feed on it and then push yourself away from the table and do it. Well, we said that our our mandate is to do two things. Build believers and serve seekers. You build believers by feeding them the Word of God. But then you know how believers become mature believers? They serve seekers. You push away from the table and you serve seekers and that's how you grow. Because we don't want to do that... Some, some of you, I, I, I show my age all the time, but now they're remaking all of the movies that they've ever made before. So you got the, hey, 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 I'm Fat Albert. Y'all have seen that, right? That was big deal when I was a kid. There are a lot of people in churches that if they were honest, they would say, hey, hey, hey I'm Fat Albert. Because all they ever do is eat on the Word of God and they do not obey it. Most of the time in churches, I would say at least 75% of the people know more about God than they're willing to do. That's how you become a fat Christian. And God says that is not supposed to be in His economy. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Knowledge puffs a person up with pride, but love builds up. See, these diet-driven churches, you would think that diet-driven churches would reach a lot of hell-bound, skirt-chasing, cocaine-snorting people. But when I've looked at it, they don't. You want to know why? Because diet-driven churches, if they're not exercising, what happens is they, they forget how to exercise, and they become proud. And the Bible says, knowledge puffs me up with pride. And you know what else the Bible says? The Bible says, God hates the proud. The Bible says, the pride goes before destruction. Destruction sounds a lot like death to me. Sounds a lot like a corpse to me. And you find a church that all they're doing is dieting, and it's a short step until they will be dead. There'll be no spiritual relevance going on there. Now, the only way to keep from becoming proud with the knowledge that we have is to push away from the table and to serve seekers. It's to rub elbows with people who are far from God. And, and this is one thing I want you to remember, because I hear this all the time. And I grew up being taught this. Oh, well, we're supposed to be separate from the world. In the world, but not of it. Yes, that's true. But if all you do is surround yourself with Christian people, and, that, and by the way, the statistics say within two years of becoming a Christian... Most Christians have zero lost friends, zero people who are far from God because they get isolated and they forget what it was like to be out in the sea drowning. They forget that we're supposed to be a life-saving station. And we're just going to keep bringing us back. We're going to say this over and over, that, that the reason we exist is to reach hell-bound people. And you have to do some different things to reach hell-bound people. What's been going, what worked a hundred years ago doesn't work today. If you don't believe that, look at television. 
What they did in the 70s, I mean, 70 years ago doesn't work. Now, the 70s, the 70s show, which, by the way, I don't remember a whole lot of that stuff that goes on in the 70s show. I don't remember that stuff going on when I was living in the 70s, but that's another point. Things change and churches must change or, or they die. Now, I want to ask you something. Can you regulate somebody into a changed lifestyle? By that, I mean, do you... Do you come up with enough rules that convinces people that they need to change? No. You love people into a changed lifestyle. Let's see. Drew, come here. I'll do this with Drew. I want to ask you all, not Drew. Drew's, Drew's going to be my, uh, my guinea pig here. I want to ask you if you have seen church through the eyes of people who are non-Christian. Have you seen church that way? Here's what I want to suggest. This is what church looks like. To a non-Christian, we're talking, you know, skirt chasing, cocaine snorting, that whole thing. To a non-Christian, this is what church looks like. Keep out. Unless you change and do the things that we want you to do, keep out. So, let's remove this. Because let's be honest, most churches are not presenting themselves in a compelling way. And they're not inviting the hellbound person to come and dine at the table with them. Because if truth be known, they don't want to rub elbows with people who are far from God because it gets messy. And so we have this sign up everywhere. Keep out. Keep out. And if, if for some miracle of God, they make it to the church, we hold this sign up if they're not dressed like us. And we say, you've got to make some changes, dude. Get your stinking tie on. Put on this coat. You ever been to a restaurant that's like this? I've been to a couple of restaurants where if you don't have a coat and tie, you can't go in. They keep coats and ties there. Wes was talking about he went to one on their honeymoon. And it was really funny because he didn't have the coat. And so he carried the coat to the table and then hung it on the chair behind. I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Just so you can eat at my table. So we say, no, man, you can't come in like that. You can't come in like yourself. You've got to put on these clothes. Then we might let you in. But even then, you know, be careful. Keep out. Because we're not sure. We're going to keep our eye on you. Now, to a non-Christian, when they actually come to a church, and if they change their outside so that they might fit in, then they feel like this. Hold that right there. They feel like they can turn so everybody can see that. They feel like they got this big bullseye on them. Because they come into the church, and they have no clue what's going on. I, I went with a friend of mine years ago when I was in high school to her church. Dude, they're standing up and sitting down. Everybody else knows. And I'm like, you know, several beats slow because everybody's standing up. And then I stand up. And then I'm the last one to stand up. They're sitting down. And they're saying these prayers and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I have no clue. And she's trying to turn in the book, you know, to help me because she knows what's coming up. And people come in here and they, they think that everybody's looking at them. When really all they want to do is they just want to blend in. But people look and, and then, oh, my soul. Then we say, if you got problems in your life, we don't want to know about it. Because one of the things I talk about all the time when I'm doing premarital counseling is everybody has baggage, emotional baggage, spiritual baggage that you bring into a relationship. And you've got to unpack some of that baggage. But what we say in churches, now again, this is through the eyes of a non-Christian. What we say is, if your baggage is any more than this little Barbie thing, don't be bringing it into church. Because God forbid, if you should open up that baggage and some of that trash in your background should spill out, it is messy. We do not have the time or the energy or the desire to help you clean that up. So if you'll pretend that this is all the baggage that you have and you'll carry that around, then you can come on in. So we get past all of that stuff. They walk in. You like that, don't you? Fits well with you. I got this suit at Target. 
Got the suit at Target. Thank you. Okay. So they come in. They feel like they got the bullseye on. They feel like they have to put a mask on because I can't tell you what's in my background because you might shun me altogether. It's taken tremendous courage for me to even come in this building. Then what happens? They come in and generally what happens in the churches that I've been in, there's no chairs on the back. They're all in the front. Thank you. Yes. And to a non-Christian, a chair chair at the front doesn't look like this. It looks like a dilapidated old thing because they're like, I do not want to put my backside in that thing because everybody will see my backside as I'm going to it. Now, to a non-Christian, going to the front row for the Super Bowl or some concert, oh, yeah. Going to the front row at church, God forbid that you should have to do that. And if you make a non-Christian do that one time, they're not coming back to your church unless there's some miracle connection between them and God when they're at your church. So, thanks, sir. You can, you can be seated. Everybody give him a hand. <laughs> yeah, when I got that this morning, Caleb goes, Oh, so you're wearing a coat and tie today. And I said, No, 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 not doing that. He usually calls me Pastor Doug when I do that. Our job is to tear down all of those things that keep people from coming to God. Um, so here's one thing that I'm, I'm going to start pushing. Sit on the front row, park on the back row. Sit on the front row, park on the back row. Did you notice what kind of chairs do we have at the front? Nice folding metal chairs. What kind of chairs do we have at the back? The cushy ones. Now, they're not the greatest chairs, but they're better than these things. But what we're saying to non-Christians, what we're saying to the people in this chair is, if you'll come to church, we'll sacrifice and we'll sit up front in the things that don't feel as good because it's all about you. It's all about the guests that are coming to church. We'll park on the back row. The last person here each week ought to have the front row parking place. They ought to have the best parking place and they ought to have the cushiest chairs. Because then we're saying, you are more important than, than we are. When someone comes to my house, now I, I will say this. I tend to sit in my chair at my house. I'll give you my couch, which is a nice couch. I don't like it. I mean, I, I sit in my chair. I'll give you my wife's chair. <laughs> She's nicer than I am. But, I mean, that's just my chair. And I guess that's the thing that came from my dad because still to this day, you don't sit in dad's chair. That's dad's chair. Dad works hard. Dad sits in that chair. But you come to our house and we're going to give you the cushier chairs. Everybody else is, not me. Um, But everybody else is. Now, here's the thing. It is sad to me that we make it difficult for people who are far from God, people who are hungry, to come and eat. Um, And here's the amazing thing, too. You cannot get from this chair, which is the baby Christian, you can't move from there to there without serving this chair. That's the way God set it up. In His economy, He said, when you serve others... There's a verse I'm going to develop a little bit more next week, but it's 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And Paul says, I will gladly give all I have for your spiritual good. That's how you move from that chair to that chair. And how you continue to grow is you give up for people in this chair. That's the way God set it up. And so we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time over the next few weeks talking about this. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? 
And you have it listed there on your listening guides. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you want to know the most important thing in the kingdom of God, it's this. Love God, love people. You want to know if you are maturing spiritually, if you're moving from this chair to this chair, then you look at your life over the last six months and you ask yourself, am I more loving towards God and am I more loving towards people? Because if you're not loving people, you're not loving God. If you're moving the wrong way, then it's time to say, oh, whoa, God, I confess that. Do something amazing in me because I can't handle this on my own. And I'm telling you, I'm going to, I'm going to preach this over and over. When we get our rears out of this chair and we serve people in this chair, they'll be breaking down the walls to get in here. You will not be able to keep people out of here because they want to go someplace. They're loved for who they are. Behavior modification is not my job. My job is to love people. And so if we ever have to make the choice between serving somebody in this chair, building a church for people in this chair, or building a church for people in this chair, or building a church for people in this chair, mark it down. July 31st, 2005. We are going to choose this chair. If we have to make a choice between reaching somebody who's already convinced and somebody who's busting open hell unless they hear about Christ, we're going to choose the busting open hell person. Because what are the alternatives? If you've got a mature Christian or someone who thinks they're a mature Christian, if you just got somebody who's a Christian and they don't come to this church, what are they going to do? They're going to go somewhere and find another church and they're going to serve in that church. Praise God, there are 120 of them in this, in this city. They can serve in that church until they die or until Jesus comes and they're still going to heaven. But if we don't concentrate on this person, what is the alternative? They bust open hell, and that's unacceptable. We are going to be a life-saving station if it kills me. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would focus on people who are far from you. I pray right now, God, you would bring to mind people that we need to invite people that we need to invest our lives in, people who are far from You. Because we have the bread of life. God, open our eyes as we continue through this series and show us how to make a difference. Show us how to give samples of the ultimate food to those that are hungry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take your registration cards.